You're tuned in to the Nonprofit Chatter, brought to you by Nonprofit Pro with our friends at Pursuant. New T and Taylor Shanklin are getting real and sitting down with nonprofit leaders to chatter about issues affecting nonprofits today. Be sure to subscribe to us in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss these conversations with your nonprofit peers. And check us out on the web at nonprofitpro.com slash podcast slash nonprofit hyphen chatter. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Chatter Podcast, hosted by me, New T, Editor-in-Chief of Nonprofit Pro. And me, Taylor Shanklin, VP of Marketing at Pursuant. The Nonprofit Chatter will give you an insider's look on the most pressing challenges facing nonprofit leaders and fundraisers today. And we'll talk about how nonprofits can overcome those challenges. In each episode, we'll engage in invigorating conversation with industry leaders and find out what tools and tactics nonprofits need in their repertoire to help their vision become a reality. So in episode number 15 of the Nonprofit Chatter, we're going to be talking about peer-to-peer event strategy. And in this episode, Taylor and I will be joined by Jamie Pierce, CEO of Zero, the End of Prostate Cancer. Jamie, welcome to the show, and it's great talking to you again. New and Taylor, thanks for having me. And we're really excited to have you on. So how are you both doing? Doing well. This is going to be a fun conversation. All right. So before we get started, Jamie, let's um, get to know you a little bit more. So can you tell us more about Zero and your role there? Uh, Sure. Uh, I'm the CEO at uh, Zero, the end of prostate cancer. And our mission is right there in our name to end prostate cancer because we're the leading national nonprofit uh, with the mission to do so. And we um, aim to advance research, improve the lives of men and families, and we uh, inspire action. So what that looks like is uh, uh, we fight to uh, increase prostate cancer research funding. Uh, Actually, last year we were successful in doing so and having many great um, advocates and, as we call them, uh, cause champions. Uh, to fight for a $10 million, successfully fight for a $10 million increase in prostate cancer research funding. So that was uh, an exciting highlight of 2019 uh, for us. Um, We improved the lives of men and families through um, a a myriad of programs that we have. Uh, At the top of that list, I'm most proud of a program that we have that's called 0360, which is a free and comprehensive and confidential patient navigation program for patients who are in their prostate cancer journey that encounter financial hardships or um, financial toxicity, um, such as insurance companies um, uh, rejecting uh, uh, payment claims or trying to find uh, clinical trials and, and, and can't you know, f- find them, um, struggling, uh, helps, out, helps out patients that are struggling to um, cover their mortgage payments while staying on their prostate cancer treatments or keeping food on the table. Uh, so we step in and have a have a patient navigator uh, solve for those solutions, and it's um, resulted in, in, in keeping uh, more than 1,500 patients in the last couple of years on the treatments that they need. And then finally, we inspire action. We're going to need an army in order to be able to end prostate cancer. Um, prostate cancer is very much like breast cancer. It has um, about the same uh, caseload. Uh, they're both hormone-driven diseases, and uh, a guy dies from prostate cancer every 18 minutes. So we're going to need uh, an army in order to be able to end prostate cancer, and, and um, we um, we get people involved in the cause by having run walks across the country as a, an entree into the organization. So in t- in 2020, this new year, we're going to have uh, 50 run walks across the country that stretch from 
Washington, D.C. to L.A. to Minneapolis to Miami and, and all points in between to get uh, engaged in communities and get uh, uh, men and their families and people who care about making the world a better place uh, engaged in the cause. Wow, that's awesome. And you, I know you guys are doing such amazing things at Zero, and I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about some of the peer-to-peer fundraising things that you guys are doing there. Um, but before that, I wanted to ask you, what is, uh, so what is your take on the current state of peer-to-peer fundraising, and how do you think it's changed in the past five years? Uh, I would say that uh, over the last few years, it seems as though that there are less participants um, in, in total. So we're seeing you know, less participants as the, as the years go on, um, and it's not just um, happening to us at zero. I think um, and I've, I've listened to some folks over at uh, Coleman and they've seen the same thing. You know, at Coleman, the Susan G. Coleman uh, Breast Cancer uh, Foundation and, and some other places. So when that happens, I, I think that um, retention is really the key and being able to um, hold on to the folks that you have that really care about the cause uh, that your nonprofit is, uh, is engaged in. So at zero, uh, we, we call it show the love. It's actually one of our strategic anchors, but it's about empowering and coaching team captains and return participants to really excel at fundraising and really keep raising their hand to be counted in and wanting to be more involved in the cause. Um, and so, so like I said, retention is important because um, if we can, you know, hold on to those people, you know, studies show that um, return participants at some of these peer-to-peer events raise three and a half times more than they did compared to their first year. So it's really all about donor loyalty. Um, and if we can, if we can really capture on that, we can really build, uh, as I said at the outset, you know, those, those that army of champions uh, that we need in order for, for to, to move the cause along and, and be successful. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, retention is key and donor loyalty is something that we're hearing more about because it's it's building that relationship with the donor and make, making sure you're bringing them value so they became, became better advocates for your brand. And Taylor, I know you are like a peer-to-peer geek when it comes to this stuff. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, you know it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I mean, what Jamie said, uh, building that loyalty, getting those who who are really into it to feel very p- much a part of the community is important and focusing on that retention. I'm also going to add in here that I just think that the peer-to-peer landscape is changing a lot, particularly in the last five years. So we hear these thoughts and, you know, comments made about it's it's dying. And that's because we're seeing, you know, as Jamie mentioned, decline in participation. We're seeing a lot of the big legacy events continue to decline, and they have been for years. But there's a big but in this. I think it's just changing. I don't think human behavior is really that different. I think people care very much and very deeply about supporting causes that are very close to them or very close to a friend or a family member of theirs, right? Or a colleague, whoever. People want to give to people. And that's what peer-to-peer and social fundraising is all about. So I just think it's changing. We're seeing the emergence of new ways of doing 
peer-to-peer, Facebook fundraising continuing to go. We're seeing things like live streaming. Um, I thought it was interesting. I was just looking at the top 30 report and looking at some of the data and Children's Miracle Network has a big extra life program that went from $10 million to $13 million between 2017 to 2018. The dance marathon that they do as well continues to grow. Uh, there's other avenues of doing peer-to-peer besides just walks, runs, rides, right? There's bowling. There's all these different ways to get peer-to-peer participation moving. And so I think we just have to look at the peer-to-peer landscape and think about it a little bit differently now and recognize that it's not dying, it's maybe just changing. And we need to look at where people are today and what's interesting to get them motivated to participate or to donate or to keep coming back. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Taylor. Um, The landscape, and I think that year after year, it changes so much and there now are so many other ways to participate. other than a walk or a run. Um, and you, you see it in, in examples that you've given, like um, right. Extra Life and Dance Marathon. And I'm, and seeing, I'm, I'm actually seeing live streaming become more and more popular among nonprofits. A lot of bigger nonprofits are taking advantage of it because it's, it's, it has a, like a, a gamification aspect to it, which is fun. You know, it's, it makes it fun for your supporters. Right. Right. And I think walks can grow. I mean, Jamie, you, you've got more walks that are going to be happening across the country now. That's awesome. Right. And we've seen other large walks grow. So I don't necessarily even think the decline in, in some of the walk participation that we're seeing has anything necessarily to do with it being a walk. I think there's a lot more behind it. And it is that retention. It's the it's mm-hmm. the brand around it. Are we really building a community around it? What are we doing to keep it interesting year after year so people do want to keep coming back? I think that's a big part of it. And I think if you can get that right, then if yeah. you've got a walk, you can continue to grow it because we're seeing lots of organizations also do that. Yeah, retaining your participants and getting them to bring their friends and family out. And that's how you grow the numbers. Um, so hosting a peer-to-peer event obviously is not easy. And Jamie, you said you're gonna, re- your organization is gonna do 50 this year, which is amazing. Um, so what should be considered uh, and strategized ahead of time? And what are some surefire strategies that will ensure for successful events? Do you have any tips or pointers? Uh, sure. Actually, you started touching on this at the at the end of the uh, answer of the last question. Um, we believe, uh, and I'm sure others do too, that in the years ahead that um, donors and participants um, in peer-to-peer events will only continue to look for experiences that provide authentic connections between themselves as donors and the causes that they care about most. And uh, I believe Taylor said this uh, just a few minutes ago, but people want to give to people that they care about, and they want to be able to see the impact that their dollars are making. So if you can continue to, to demonstrate that, and show um, who the people are that you're helping, um, allowing, um, you know, putting people out there that are being helped by your organization and your organization's programs, and for them to be able to see that. And then also to, to, to really um, position 
uh, people who have taken like sort of a volunteer leadership role within your organization and the events that you put on, people see that. And if you're showing them the love and you're elevating them and you're telling their story, uh, others come along and they see, they see that story um, and they see that person and how they're, they're being loved and, and they're being elevated as a volunteer within the organization and they want that for themselves. And so we, we do some of that um, through, we had mentioned live streaming. So not only does, you know, we talked about extra life and that's mostly around, um, you know, playing games online and live streaming that. And, that, and you're absolutely right. That's been um, tremendously successful and very, you know, in the last couple of years, particularly. But you can also do uh, live streaming at events. And that's what we've begun to do on our run walks of uh, doing like Facebook lives or, you know, Instagram lives. And, uh, and being able to bring on participants for them to be able to share their stories and their struggles that they've gone through in their cancer journey and putting that out on social media and showing um, just the, the, the love and affection that the patients and families they've showered with. Um, you give some flavor of the event and what's going on to show the, the event experience. Um, we've got cowbells out there. We've got, you know, all these great pictures and, you know, food and beverages and, you know, just really make it kind of a festival of, of the run walk. And so you kind of create that FOMO effect that, that uh, the millennials talk about, which is, you know, the fear of missing out and people want to get, people want to get involved. I love that you mentioned FOMO. I was actually, just, I've been talking a lot about FOMO too lately, Jamie, and I was at this marketing conference that I went to and I heard the She's like the head of social media for MGM resorts for all of their resorts. And she, her whole presentation was about creating FOMO and it was brilliant. Cause I was like, that's what, that's what's working to gain attention. And I also really like what you said about, you have to show it like people want proof these days. They don't want to know that they're just sending something in and who knows where it's going. Right. Like they really want the proof and, they want to feel a part of it. And if you can give them that FOMO to say, hey, this looked awesome. You should come to the next year's event. Or, man, it, I signed up. My kid got sick. I couldn't make it. At least then you're giving them a little part of the experience if they were planning to be there and they couldn't be there. Yeah, yeah Jamie, I really love what you said about stories. Stories are so powerful. And you see it every day at all these nonprofits of them sharing these stories of the people who are being impacted by the donations that they're receiving. And it's really an amazing thing because you really get to know these individuals and you find a bond with them, which I think is, is such an amazing thing that a lot of nonprofits should take advantage of. Um, so my, my next question for you is, you know, we've talked a little bit about this during this episode with live streaming and social media. I mean, what other ways has technology impacted peer-to-peer -peer fundraising, event management, and execution? And what types of innovation are on the horizon that you think will be really effective for 2020 and beyond? Sure, it's a great, great question. Well, certainly uh, social media and, and uh, Facebook being uh, the leader on that has had uh, a, a, a tremendous impact over the last uh, two or three years of people being able to uh, dedicate their birthdays to the causes that they care about, to just... Um, just being so turnkey and being able to um, set up a fundraiser through social media to get their their network's attention to be able to give, and that's been a a huge uh, a boon for 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 nonprofits uh, really across uh, around the globe. 
Um, so, so that's that's been a big uh, that's been a big factor. Um, one of the things that I want to turn around on you guys and ask a question. I have a few more thoughts, but I want to ask a question back to you guys on what you think is that um, our run walk series, uh, we have a registration fee. And, um, and as far as tactics um, that go into a peer to peer event like this, um, we've played around with the idea of experimenting with having um, a couple of our events and, and sort of pilot this out without having a registration fee. Because mm -hmm. I'm seeing more and more that these. Peer-to-peer uh, -peer events are happening that um, don't require a registration fee because the data is starting to show that folks, more folks, will come out and then they will raise more funds because they didn't have to pay a registration fee. Mm -hmm. um, but um, but I, but but some of the other things that um, you know I'm seeing that could be uh, on the horizon is um, it'll be it'll be really interesting. You know, we're it's, it's the new year. It's also an election year. And uh, in election years in the, in the past, particularly presidential elections, ha have really sort of previewed or showcased out what's on the horizon for technology that um, that nonprofits can can jump into. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself here, but going back quite a few years ago, before we had all these platforms like uh, Blackbot and, and and all that, really rose to prominence. It's how Howard Dean, when he ran for president. Um, you know, raised all that money on the internet it was um, was being able to set up that uh, that database platform that you could use on the back end. Um, so that's really where it started, and then and other nonprofits and nonprofits really started to jump onto that. So I'll be interested and curious once we get deeper and deeper into this um, election year, what what sort of uh, technologies that these presidential campaigns uh, you know jump on and utilize in a way that. Um, as I said, it's going to, it's going to showcase what we can use on the nonprofit front, um, you know, in the years to come. Um, one of the, and I'll, I'll say this too, one of the things that's on my wish list that I don't necessarily see on the horizon, but would love to see on the horizon is sort of this um, AI technology. And we're starting to see sort of AI technology around like chatbots. Uh, if somebody comes to your website and has a question or, but it doesn't even have to be about their, your event, and it can be about, you know, just about the cause in general that you've got these chatbots. But I'd love to see AI evolve to the point where you can almost triage your database. And what I mean by that is um, can, we, can we get AI that sort of recognizes the different actions that a donor or a participant has taken uh, on behalf of your organization and the cause? And then that's sort of there, – there's, there's some uh, value that the AI will, will, will give – that will shoot that donor up to the top so you know to jump on them as soon as possible and be able to give your thanks and start stewarding them right away. Oh, I, I absolutely think that's on the horizon. I mean, it, there are some, some things already happening there that I think are interesting with, with data for sure and being able to quickly identify the right people who are like the lowest hanging fruit to communicate with, right? I also... You know, one thing that I think would be really interesting, guys, with, with AI and thinking through back to your registration question, Jamie, because I think it's a, a really interesting one and one that I've had with a lot of organizations over the years. And I've seen people do it always. First off, I'll say for your event, my recommendation is, like you said, pilot it, test it in a couple places and see what happens before you roll it out across, you know, the whole country, right? Um, 
I also think what could be interesting with AI is like, what if we were able to have computers tell us what's the exact registration fee to charge in this area? What's the right fundraising amount to try to get uh, and set as the fundraising goal in this area, you know, because that could be different in different regions and different places and parts of the world and the country. And so I think even thinking through some of those things in terms of the registration for an event, the fundraising goals for an event, how can we use AI and, and data and algorithms and all that stuff to like just help us be smarter about the decisions we're making. When it comes to technology, I think the two biggest things are mobile engagement pathways, making those better and even looking at things like if you're gonna be sharing Facebook live videos, which I think is awesome that you guys are doing that, like even thinking through like I'm gonna shoot a vertical video because most people are gonna be watching this on their phones, right? And I wanna make sure it looks good on Instagram and all of that stuff. And then using data to really create the experiences, the right experiences for the right people. Like you said, Jamie, looking at the database and saying like, okay, who, who should I talk to about this? Who should I talk to about that? And that might be who should be a team captain, who should be a mentor, who donated and maybe I want to now invite them to come to the walk too. I think that's the stuff that data, the data tools are getting better at telling us what to do. Yeah, I think that's super interesting, Taylor. And going back to, you know, the registration fee question, and it's funny because we did a peer-to-peer fundraising study, I think back in 2017 with Turnkey, where we kind of explored the question of, registration fee or no registration fee and at least in that study we found that the nonprofits that responded to our survey those that didn't have a registration fee uh, they had like a higher donation rate um, and they raised more money when they didn't have the registration fee because I guess there was there was no buy-in um, so when they get they get there they're doing the race they're raising more money um, and in that study, we found that no registration fee was a way to go. But I mean, I think this varies from for every single nonprofit. So I like Taylor's advice is to pilot it, test it out, and see what the results are, and then roll it out if it if it works. You know what Maybe I mean? The other thing on that is it's kind of like what do you do with it with the registration fee? If you're gonna have no registration fee, okay, great, more power to you then your branding and your communication about fundraising has to be really on point Mm -hmm. because I've had this discussion with other organizations too. And it's, well, we have a free walk and then everyone just shows up to the walk because it's a lot of fun and it's at the zoo or some cool place, but then they don't raise any money. And it's like, okay, well, that's where it's on the organization and um, the folks on the ground to really communicate well about the fundraising so that you don't have to fill in that gap just mm-hmm. to cover the you know the logistical costs of running the event with the registration fees and stuff like that no jamie what are your thoughts back on that i think that's a that's a great thought um being able to to have your your message um really resonate with folks uh in a way in a way that compels them to um, make a donation or to tap into their network to, um, to, to, to make that, to make that happen, to, to hit, um, 
to help you hit your fundraising goals. So I think that that's that's well said, and I think that's um, that, that's one of the um, strategies that, or one of the tactics that uh, that we'll employ um, this year is to try that out with a couple of different events and see uh, if um, you know if, if it's made a market difference between um, you know that, that new tactic and, and what we've done before. Hey, yeah. keep us posted. Maybe yeah, we'll do a follow-up blog or something on this. Exactly. <laughs> episode and uh, talk about the registration fees. Awesome. Well, that about wraps it up for today's episode. Um, I want to thank our listeners for listening on today's podcast and Jamie and Taylor. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me today on the Nonprofit Chatter and sharing your insights on peer-to-peer event strategy. Thank you for having me. Thanks, you. Yeah, it Thanks, was Taylor. fun. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks a lot, Jamie, for joining us for the conversation. It's a, it's a good one, and we really appreciate your experience and your insights brought here today. So on behalf of Nonprofit Pro and Pursuant, we will see you on the next episode of the Nonprofit Chatter. Have a great day.